All right, well, welcome to the Wednesday edition, the hump day edition of Let's Open the Bible. Russ and Gavin coming back at you today. Hello, Gavin. Hello. Good to see you. I know you've kind of come in today on two wheels. You busy? Two wheels or yeah. wheels? Two wheels. You were kind of coming in sideways. Oh, I didn't know uh, if you, you meant wheels or wheels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to touch that because I don't know what you mean. Um, I just love how you, uh, in, in my... All these distracting things at the beginning of the podcast, you you have no time for. I just you cut just you right move off. Move on. Yep, that's I. I don't just have an economy of words. I got an economy of, of thought. <laughs> yes, of, you think of, as little as possible uh, of willingness. <laughs> you know, can I just say I I blame this or attribute this to uh, someone that I worked for briefly. Uh, I was working for a company in Winston. I got recruited within the company to come to work for another uh, GM in Raleigh. And this was a person that her, her philosophy was is that she had no time to memorize phone numbers. That's why she had a phone, a cell phone. And, I, and up to that point, I had all these numbers memorized for whatever reason. And so from that moment on, it's just been, an, you know, the economy of whatever you fill in the blank there, the economy of words, the economy of thought, economy of whatever it is. That's why I type things into a computer. I don't have to remember them. I can look them up. So you may be Einstein because there is an apocryphal account. I actually think that I've read that it's not true, but that he wouldn't waste his mind with things that didn't matter. So he never remembered phone numbers or anything that he could look up. He just, his mind was occupied with bigger and better things. I don't know if that's true, but there you go. You're Einstein. Okay, so uh, I, I want to kind of uh, recap what we've said to this point. I challenged the listener, I believe it was on Monday's episode, which by the way, listener, sorry if we didn't get our podcast recorded in time to, to drop this at five o'clock in the morning like we normally do. I hope that you can catch this episode when it's convenient for you, and uh, we'll have a Thursday and Friday episode, hopefully like normal, that drops at five in the morning. Uh, but I challenged you, if you listened on Monday, to just think about when you believe the days of creation began, and I outlined the case uh, that I made based on the construction of the language uh, that the first day of creation began in verse 3. I'm not saying that absolutely. I'm saying that that is certainly a possibility within the construction of the language. Uh, if that's true, then there's at least the case that can be made for what is commonly known as the gap theory in creation. Uh, I hold that openly. I reserve the right to be wrong. Uh, but I think what I said was, is I just don't hear any compelling arguments for a young earth creation. Uh, and so I challenge the reader to consider that. So if you haven't done that, just go back and, and read Genesis beginning in verse 3 of chapter 1 and look at the construction where each day begins with then God said and each day ends with the statement, so the evening and the morning were the blank day, whatever the day was. And then I and, and so then we talked about the uh, very fascinating way in which God went about creation, where we see the forming of day one, two, and three. God formed; he he created uh, space, and then in in days four, five, and six, he filled those spaces. And it's fascinating that uh, day three or excuse me, day four corresponds the filling of what he formed in day one. And, and, and in day five, the filling corresponds with day two and in day six with day three. And, and it, it really is just fascinating when you kind of pull back the lens and we're not just plowing through scripture. When we really read it with discerning, there's some very interesting things there that are really easy to miss. And I, I find that to be true throughout scripture. 
because so often we're, we're in a hurry for whatever reason as if we've got something more important to do, but yet we want to check the box. We want to read the, the say we've read the Bible for the day and pat ourselves on the back and move on. But in that, sometimes we miss some very interesting details where I think uh, God is really trying to communicate something specific. Now, what that is may be open to uh, you know interpretation or whatever in the case of creation. Maybe it's young earth. Maybe it's not. I don't think that's the point. And so today, I kind of, if we can, if there's time, I want to kind of bring all this together and kind of wrap up this conversation. So, listener, if you have your Bible, open to Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to read one verse. I'm going to read verse 16. And and what I want to do is I want to talk about the context that this account is being written in and what it means, and then just maybe conclude the conversation with why the doctrine of creation matters. Gavin, I'm going to ask you to open us in prayer. Okay, I will. And, and before we get there, just you, you brought up the gap theory. And, and the reason that I'm comfortable with that is because I believe that you're arriving at that from wrestling with Scripture, right? I, and, and so, and I'm not. I am a young earth theorist, 6,000, 20,000-year-old earth. Um, and uh, and I, th- I hope and pray, and I believe this, that we're both wrestling with Scripture to the best of our ability and we arrive at different places. But as far as compelling arguments, um, one of my church members turned me on to Jason Lyle, uh, I think is how you pronounce L-I-S-L-E, I believe is how you also spell his name. But he just is, is really ripping apart old earth theorists, um, you know, that, that billions of years old. Uh, even in gap theory, he's saying that that is not possible even then. So, so if you want some compelling arguments, I think it's Dr. or Professor Jason Lyle, uh, and how he works through Genesis and how he, but, but, but his whole point of that is you've got to believe God. Um, and, and how there is, there's absolutely, if you don't believe God, it is a choice that you have made, uh, with regard to a faith that is not Christian. Like you, you've placed your trust in some other faith, whether it's secularism or, or, or whatever. But, um, so he's, he's driving you back to scripture and giving evidence to say that, that if you don't believe it, it's not because of evidence. You know, it's not, and it's not a scientific reason that you disbelieve God, but, uh, um, but, but I see, I think we both do that. I I don't have a problem with how you wrestle with, okay, I believe God. This is just how, uh, it works out for me as I read that text. Yeah. What he's really saying is, is if you don't believe what I believe, you don't believe God. Well, he's good. No, 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 no. He's just walking through it. I don't think he, he, he acknowledges that there are gap theorists. And I think he would say we're both orthodox, but he's giving evidence how that is not possible. Scientifically, it's not possible for these billions of of years that people allow for. He's just saying scientifically that's, that's not possible. So his, his case is, is certainly uh, exegetical and he is expository maybe in his explanation, but he's also tying it into science and saying, listen, if you choose to go the secular route, it's not because the science goes there. I, t- I told you this, that theistic evolution book I have, it's way over my head, but one thing it is convincing me that it is not because of science that you believe in macroevolution. It's a faith. You have placed your trust in something else. Uh, it is not it is not based on science. Ninety percent of the people in the world, I would go as so far as to say, ninety five percent of the people uh, in the world uh, believe what they want and look in confirmation bias. They they grab things that prove their point, and so people that believe ninety five percent of the people that believe either in creation or in evolution, science is not the driving force. It's a it's a it's a preconceived faith. And then confirmation bias, you look what proves your point. You know, I was in prayer now. 
Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace because ultimately we do believe that you are the one that guides us into all truth as your spirit works in our hearts and in our minds. God, we come before your throne of grace because we believe that our minds are uh, uh, tainted and and, um, don't see things clearly because of the fall. We come before your throne of grace because we need you in order to do anything good. God, we really need you to do anything at all. And so we come and we ask that you would. We ask that you would give us clarity of thought, especially as we examine scripture, that you would give us clarity of communication as we try to describe what we see in your word. And I pray that you give us boldness as it seems uh, since the foundation of the world, the world, the flesh, and the devil conspire against you and your word. God, would you give us all those things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. 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 All right. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. This is day four of creation. Uh, And again... Uh, which corresponds with day one, where day one God uh, formed, um, and in day four he fills. And it says, Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Uh, I love that sentence, he made the stars also. You know, we look up at the sky. I don't know uh, how often you have an opportunity to go out in the evening uh, when it's dark and look up at the sky. Um, The last thing we do before we go to bed at night is take our dogs out to use the restroom. And uh, when I can, I I like to, as they're doing what they need to do, I like to just look up at the stars. And I can't say that I always do that. And I I, I can say that for a long time I, I didn't really pay much attention. But here of late, it just seems like the stars have been so brilliant. And there's so many of them. I actually heard, uh, I read some commentary somewhere that said that if it is thought that if you held a needle at arm's length and you looked through the eye of that needle, within the eye of that needle, there would be roughly 10,000 stars. And if you move that needle one inch, there would be roughly 10,000 more stars. Now, obviously, we're not seeing all those stars. And so in, in light of the fact that, I mean, we're still discovering you know, galaxies. We're still discovering all of these stars and, 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 and all of these things out there in space. And the entire scope of what God's Word tells us here is he made the stars also. Yeah. So that in, in, Psalm, that. Yeah, in Psalm 8, I think it's the same thing is, trying, it, it is communicated by the psalmist when he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, he doesn't even go hands, he doesn't go arms. When I look at the, the work of your majestic might, it's, it, it, I think it's an intentional when I look at the work of your fingers. Those stars, and by the way, I actually, I don't know this to be true, but as I'm listening to more and more scientific evidence, I think that it's a tiny number. 10,000 in a, the eye of a needle is, is tiny. I mean, that that. That doesn't shock me at all. That must that must be what visible by a regular telescope or not Maybe. your eyes? I don't know because there's no way when you look at uh, there are pictures that show multiple galaxies. Yeah, oh yeah, that are staggering. I mean, mm. and oh, that's just a galaxy. Oh, that's just a galaxy. Mm-hmm. And so it, that that's nothing to me. Ten thousand doesn't make sense unless it's some small. You know, if you take the needle away and look with a with a normal child telescope, you could see ten thousand stars. Other than that, I would imagine it's got to be much greater. So what we have in Scripture here is uh, an inspired word given by God to Moses. Moses is obviously not alive at creation. Uh, the creation events happened you know, many, many years, perhaps who knows how many years, how many, maybe possibly thousands of years before God inspired uh, Moses to, to, 
to write down um, what God had, had shared with him, breathed out to him. And so by the time Moses is inspired to record these words, we have cities, we have nations, we have multitudes of people, uh, and, and God is creating for himself a people. And all around his people, all around God's people, are uh, effectively idol worshipers. They're, they're pagans. And what's fascinating is, is all over around God's people, uh, people are worshipers. Uh, everyone, you, you that are listening, uh, Gavin and I, everyone we encounter, we're worshiping. We just not, we're just not all worshiping God. And so these people uh, all around were, were worshiping things like the sun, the stars, the moon, there's moon gods and all these other things. We're worshiping the earth. I, one of the, in fact, I worked with a lady that was a Wiccan, and you know, part of their um, thing is, you know, they're basically uh, worshiping Mother Earth or you know whatever it is. It's, it's just kind of odd to me. And so you have all these worshipers of all these things, and and in the case of the stars, there's one sentence, five words. He made the stars also. Yeah, and and so they weren't to be worshipped. Yeah, but but let me hop hop over. Like you said, the practice of worship. Okay, let me start before that. In my mind, you were created to worship. Absolutely. So you will worship, which is what your point was. You were created to worship, so you will worship. And then the warning that comes after that. So watch the idols that develop in your heart. Mm -hmm. They will be there. And it is important that you deal with them uh, quickly, lest lest they distract you from genuine worship and the worship of God. And and those those idols are subtle; they creep in in weird ways, and sometimes in somewhat in, in ways that seem pretty good. So I, I love that you said you are going to worship. I mean, that's just a nature. But why? Because you were created to. Yeah. And then what's the problem with that is that if you're not worshiping you know, you are God and there is no other, you are God and there is none like you, the one true and living God, if you're not worshiping him, you will be worshiping something else. Yeah. And so the setting, uh, that Moses is in and, 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 and God's people is referred to as ancient near East, uh, the fertile crescent. And there is, there is within the ancient near East, all types of literature, uh, there are creation accounts. There's even flood accounts, all from the ancient Near East, that are not scriptural. Enuma Elish, I'm sure you're familiar with that, uh, the flood narrative. And so n- nearly every world culture, nearly every ancient world culture has a creation account and has a flood account. And some of those are similar, maybe, to what God inspired Moses to record. Uh, by the way, if you don't know this, uh, Moses was inspired to to record the first five books of the Bible, known as uh, the Law of Moses or the Torah, and um, or the, the Pentateuch. Yeah, the Pentateuch. Thank you. And and so there are ancient Near Eastern accounts, and so almost it's like. Uh, and this from the notes of Dr. King Keithley, a professor I had uh, that I took on a creation and creationism class. He pointed out, well, actually Kent Hughes pointed out that uh, the creation account is almost a polemical uh, diatribe arguing um, that that uh, rather than some mythical, you know, Genesis is one and two account, 
Uh, it's actually an aggressive attack against the ancient Near Eastern myths that existed in that day. And so he's not, you know, he's saying here that Moses is not dealing with science, but the theology of the ancient Near East that, you know, worshipped the sun or worshipped the stars or whatever. And so he goes on, Dr. Keithley says, each day of creation attacks one of the gods, lowercase g, one of the gods in the pagan pantheons of the day and declares that they are not gods at all. On day one, the gods of light and darkness are dismissed. On day two, the gods of sky and sea. On day three, the earth gods and the gods of vegetation. On day four, the sun, moon, and star gods. Days five and six dispense with the idea of divinity within the animal kingdom because we're not supposed to worship cows, and we still see that today. Yeah, I'm going to put a little caution on that. What is it? Polyvalence when when a story can attach itself to different things. Polyvalence in uh, in in chemistry is that that a chemical can can latch on to different things. I believe there's a I, I I'm not, but I don't think that just because this may or, or may not address the gods of of that time, uh, the ancient Near East, in in no way, shape, or form that do, do I think that removes it from being a part of God's creative order, which means science is just a description of what God has created. I, I don't fear truth ever. I think I love truth. Uh, truth with a capital T is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. So I, I, I love truth. I, I want to be a truth seeker. And I don't think God is, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And miracles are when he breaks through into a specific time and a place to do something contrary to what his, his established quote unquote laws of physics. And why I say quote unquote is they're just, the laws of physics are just a description of what God's creation, how, how God's created order is, how it acts, how things act in certain ways in certain situations and settings. So again, God created the world in order. And because it all, his also, his creative order addresses some of these gods does not mean that it is separate from science. And I'm not serving science. Yeah, this is not okay. the primary okay. purpose of okay. creation, the creation narrative. The primary purpose is not to dismiss these A&E gods, lowercase g gods. The, Which the, are no gods at all. Anybody right. that's listening get yeah, The, the primary purpose of the creation account is to uh, identify God. Uh, God is the creator, but along the way, he seems to be smiting uh, or smoting. I'm not sure how to properly articulate that because I don't want him to be smitten, or maybe I do. I want him to be smitten by God. Yeah, there you go. Uh, But but certainly answering as to what or who is is right to worship. And so finally, in the in day six, uh, it's made clear that humans and humanity are not divine; they're created. Right, and, and and that may be true, but, but what if we we flip that, and that each of these is not primarily addressing, like smiting, smitten, and smoting a god, but rather every gift of God is something we tend to worship. I, I mean, that's Hosea. Yeah, you know that that Gomer is led away by gifts that were provided by ultimately God and Israel, and we we could get into that. But we tend to be led away by the very gifts of God. So, so God blesses us, and instead of thanking God and worshiping and serving him, we tend to be, uh, to be carried away by these, these gifts and blessings. What about when God created the animals? That's a, that's a gift from God, and we are to have dominion over them. That's right. Rather than understand them as a gift from God, we tend to worship them. Right. And, and I don't know which way it, it works out, but regardless, the point is God is God, and these are not. Exactly. They're provisions of God. They're 
created things of God, gifts, formed things of God, they're they're not God. And you can't worship both. You yeah. can't worship the animals and God. You cannot worship the earth and God. You certainly can take care of the earth, but you don't worship it. Yeah. So I want to conclude our time by kind of touching on why the doctrine of creation matters. And there's three primary things that, that Dr. Keithley kind of outlines that I want to share with the audience. Uh, I want to get into one a little more deeply. Uh, first of all, it gives us a proper understanding of our place as human beings in the universe. We are created. Can we, can we just finish that Psalm 8 yeah. again? account then yeah when i look at your heavens the work of your fingers the the moon and stars which you have set in place what is man that you are mindful of it's a real humbling thing to look around you and say i'm not god that's Uh, right and and i think nebuchadnezzar uh, um oh my goodness uh my mind just went blank um i was wondering said we are nothing but grasshoppers before you oh wasn't that david what wasn't that david uh, Abraham said we're dirt. My mind just went blank, blank. Well, and but we are. We're made from dirt. Sure, we're made from the dust of the ground. Yeah. And that's what that's what Abraham Abraham acknowledges. Sure. And we're made in the image of God. We're not God. Uh, we're not divine, and that's made clear in the creation account. Uh, and so the doctrine of creation. While you're looking that up, the doctrine of creation gives yeah. us a proper understanding of of our place in the universe. Did you find that? Yeah, it's just Nebuchadnezzar. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will amongst the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say to his hand, uh, none can stay his hand or say to him, "Why have you done? done what have you done? Why have you done thus and, and and such?" So, yeah. Also, the doctrine of creation gives us a, a proper understanding of the nature of creation, and so I just want to touch on a few of these things. Uh, nature is real. It has value. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, so the nature has value. But the nature is nature is not God. Um, but it does have order. Nature has order. God created nature uh, to have order. But it's also subservient. Uh, it's subservient to God. Uh, he controls it. Jesus told the wind and the waves to be still. And they were. Have you ever tried that, by the way? No. It doesn't work. No. I can tell you that. I know I know some prosperity gospelers that have said that they have told the the uh, winds to move and the storms to move and and they laughed at the prosperity gospel preacher. Yes. And nature has purpose. Um, you know, so there are a lot of things about the doctrine of creation that are important, but I think maybe none more important than the doctrine of creation gives us a proper understanding of salvation and redemption. And I think that's really where all of the Bible points us to. It points us to our need for a Savior and, uh, and to Jesus Christ. And we, and we learn uh, throughout the doctrine of creation, when you take the Bible as a whole, um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all involved in the process of creation. Uh, we know from John 1, 1 that, that all things were made through him, for him, and to him, and talking of the Son. And so the doctrine of creation is a, is a very important doctrine that I think sometimes gets overlooked as maybe many familiar passages of Scripture tends to get overlooked. Some of the details tend to get overlooked. And so I think the doctrine of creation really gives us a firm foundation from which, as believers, uh, we can continue to grow in the knowledge of the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Well, I think that's why we started out saying that it's important that we go to scripture because um, right 
after the account of creation and God's commandment regarding the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan is there saying, did God really say? Yeah. I think today there are so many competing theories uh, that uh, about creation and every other thing that try to and attempt to lead us away from God. And we as Christians need to settle that matter in our heart. Either we're believers and the Bible's inerrant and inspired, and it doesn't mean that we there, there aren't some questions. But if the Bible is, and I believe it absolutely is, inerrant and inspired and perfect and sufficient, then we need to submit to the Word. And again, um, I think the world doesn't really care what which theory you believe as long as it is not God's. So yeah. you can believe 10 different ones as long as it's not the created creative account narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah. Anything but that. Anything but that. Yeah. I, I actually just just maybe for an illustration, uh, read a magazine article one time and there were two gentlemen arguing. One believed that there was no God and another believed a very much lesser version that, oh, there is a God. We may not know him, but he created. And uh, and and even in that weak presentation of uh, the defense of the creation story, the creation account, that man said to the, the other guy who said there absolutely was no God, he said, listen, you're open to any possible way to explain the earth's existence except you've removed as a scientist you've removed the possibility just because you don't like it mm -hmm. which is that god created that's the one you cannot accept and neither one of them were very articulate with you know theology and scripture but just the idea that a scientist that says i'll go wherever the truth leads has has already said except except god i'm not going to follow the the, uh, the facts to god for sure yeah Crazy world we live in. Well, I think this is the time we have for this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Continue to chew on uh, the questions that uh, that we see in these passages, or or maybe meditate meditate on some of these truths, like the structure of the days. Meditate on the the forming and the filling, and all these fascinating aspects that we find within the doctrine of creation that maybe you've never thought of. Uh, chew on and meditate on the fact that the very first word in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, suggests or at least implies uh, that that God knew the end and, and had the end in mind when he uttered the very first word. All these things to me are, are incredibly fascinating, reveal, and they reveal the sovereignty of God, the forethought of God, the power of God to know all things. And if you'll continue to meditate on those things and open your word, uh, I know that you'll be richly blessed. And until tomorrow, God bless.